Welcome to SlayerFest98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me for this episode is my co-host, Scooby and YA author, Adam Sass. Hi, Adam. Hi. Adam, are you so tired of talking about X-Men at this point? Not at all. I'm just getting my second wind. I think this just (laughs) came just in time watching this little horrific throwback. Um, We all all have arrived at a very special place in this podcast uh, summer. Um, But we have some really great special guests to intro right now. We've got three of them, so I will go as follows. First up, we have writer, editor, and co-creator of Razorblades, a new horror magazine. Steve Fox. Steve. Um, we, um, joining us next is editor, upcoming writer of the upcoming Snapshots X-Men, and co-host of Jay and Miles Explain X-Men. Jay Editon. Hello, Hi, Jay. Jay. Um, all right, and last but not least, we've got an author and co-host of This Week in Marvel podcast. Hey, I'm Lorraine Sink. Hello. Well, this what a day we're going to have right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you all agreed to talk. Um, one of the weirder X-Men movies, um, Generation X. Uh, you know, I will say, I tweeted about it, um, and I was surprised that people were, like, excited. I was like, ooh, are only, like, ten people going to know about this movie, and everyone else is going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, every time we announce that, like, hey, we're going to be recording this later this afternoon for any of the other X-Men movies, people are like, I have heard of that movie. I have heard plenty of Dark Phoenix. Thank you. <laughs> and then this one, it blew up. Because yeah. I think nobody had, like, everybody had just, like, completely buried this under 25 years of, of, of uh, thought. Do you, do you happen to know how this movie came into being? I don't. I remember at the time reading everything I could about it yeah. in Wizard Magazine, but I don't really... Like, was it supposed to be a pilot that just didn't go? Yes, yeah. that but it was. Okay. It was like, this was like their like TV movie pilot that like, I think it was like already not picked up before it aired and they just like dumped it <laughs> as a TV movie. Right, they, re- they recut it. They recut it into a movie after it wasn't picked up. It was supposed to be capitalizing on the success of the animated series and then the launch of the Generation X comic. And um, obviously it didn't. <laughs> I think the late 90s has two failed pilots, um, Generation X and Mulholland Drive, and we will see what is more well-remembered um, in history, <laughs> in film annals. Adam is a big David Lynch fan, in case you all didn't know. <laughs> You're all sitting um, Jay, so you said you've watched this a couple times, right? I have, yeah. I, I, I so Jan Miles explained the X-Men is what it sounds like on the tin. And um, we've, we've covered this movie there as well. So I've, I've not only seen it, but done a fair amount of background research on it. Um, I, I can also say conclusively that it is even worse the second and third times. Because <laughs> at least the first time rewatching it, you have that flush of like, oh, mid 90s. Mm, okay, that's a little flavor I'm going to drink in. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine going through it again. Yeah, I... You know, when we did first class, um, Dax exclamation point from RuPaul's Drag Race was on, and she was like, Ian, you owe me reparations for making me watch this movie again. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, people were mad about watching X-Men first class. Wait till we get to this one. But you know what? I like this a little bit better than X-Men first class. <laughs> I feel like I fell through the looking glass here. One, that Jay was able to watch this more than once. And two, <laughs> that you preferred this to any other film that has ever existed. <laughs> I think on the rewatch, because it's been yeah. pretty repetitively, like, I don't know, I, I feel because like it was just so much of, like, 
we're so saturated with the uh, the first class era uh, X Men movies. I just feel because especially on Twitter, I just feel like I'm so like completely saturated with it. I've seen it. I you know I've, I've been immersed in it. We're finally free of it, and then this one was like at least a little newish or a little blast from the past. It's it's such a era specific relic. Like it's a movie yeah. that couldn't have been made any time other than like a four month period of 1995 and 96. Exactly. Cause I was, I was, I was telling, I was uh, t- t- telling you and tweeting about it, but like, I was like, this is a goosebumps ass movie. Like, and this is, and I checked the date. It aired like <laughs> three and a half months after the goosebumps show premiered. My question is where does this line up with the release of the mask? Because there's like some solid mask vibes. I'm talking about the Jim Carrey mask, not the one yeah. with Cher. Yeah, so Matt Frewer basically had did Jim Carrey's shtick and also Paul Rubin's shtick before either of them. Like this is this is pretty much Mm. him doing the character he established in the in the early mid eighties. So funny that like he like because when I was watching this, I was like, wow, this was a year after Batman Forever, and he's kind of doing the Riddler's full ass thing. Like he's had the the we're in your mind unethical advertising dream machine thing. I, I'm in your brain and I'm and I'm power mad and I'm a little Jim Carrey goofy with my, you know, yellow green zoot suit. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it did feel like that, but that's so interesting that like no, actually, this is Matt Frewer doing Jim Carrey's impersonation of Matt Frewer. Yeah, yeah, it's. And even um, I remember before I rewatched it, I was like, oh, aren't his powers something like Freddy Krueger? But then he references Freddy like he he explicitly says, you know, like Freddy Krueger. And I was like, wow, this is just in case you missed it. (laughs) It's a very Gen X movie because it's so like aware what it is kind of doing it. Like there's a lot of self-awareness and a lot of like 1986 kind of referencing itself. It's working really hard to be topical. <laughs> but it's got like Romeo and Michelle vibes, and then it's got like the fashion is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I like Jubilee's. I like this version of Jubilee's jacket. Like I would probably wear that jacket now. <laughs> like her, like in in the dim arcade light when we first meet Jubilee, like with that like yeah. that neon, mm, yeah. not scary farm lipstick she's got on. Like it's just really uh, like it's it. it's a tone setter. It is. It is. Uh, It is also of note. um, So, Jay, I'm actually going (laughs) to, after I do my little, the only research I could find was the, like, weird fun facts were that they kind of, this, I mean, this was the first live action X-Men movie, but they use the same Marvel title cards that they use in, like, those are the same title cards, or, like, less, less, like, maybe they make them fancier for the rest of the X-Men movies, but it's basically the same title cards they also kind of do the same intro but this it's just on the screen defining mutation instead of patrick stewart like very nicely narrating it and it's the same mansion they use in the yes. X-Men movies which that is mansion so is the weird. most common recurring anything in x-men um <laughs> and, and in x-men live action stuff more than any single actor more than any other single setting that's like so wild to me that it's the same man i like there are other really? mansions yeah and and that the guy who plays Banshee in this um, was the guy that voiced Banshee in the animated series. Um, but Jay, give me give me all your research. You've now you're doing your second podcast on this uh, delight of a movie. 
I mean, that's the bulk of it. A lot of a lot of what I found was digging up old interviews and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of it is was confirming stuff that's pretty obvious from the movie itself, like that the screenwriter was a massive fan of the comics. Mm, yeah. Which you can see because of of the the kind of shoehorned in comics references, like the Hellions bit. Yeah, that's so. It's weird that we get the Hellions and it's Xavier's mansion, but we never mention the X Men, like at all. Do you think that was like a rights thing back then? I one hundred percent do. Yeah, because didn't like everyone everyone had rights to different things at that moment, like especially back then, right? Yeah, because the the rights were were massively massively split up and even more so i think in the the following couple of years so and and the way rights translate to entertainment varies a lot but it can involve which characters you can use which settings you can use which settings you can name a pretty good example if you want something more modern playing out is is the way that scarlet witch and quicksilver show up in both x-men and avengers movies but different yeah that's true. Because they're irrevocably tied to both franchises, but you can't mention Magneto in the Avengers franchise, so they're not his kid his kids there. That's like so so this was only a few years before they were really filming the original two thousand X Men in earnest. Like so were they develop were they trying to develop the the full theatrical X Men at this point? Like was there some sort of ongoing thing? Like was there any cross or did it just like did, did this just like fully flame out and then they decided to go do the the full movie i don't know (laughs) jay do you know i don't (laughs) uh no one's talking on that front (laughs) steve you hadn't seen this before right no and i'm gonna be honest i gave this 85 percent of my attention yesterday that is totally fair (laughs) i Uh, could not bring myself to give it a full 100 (laughs) that's why i put in the email i sent you all i made sure to say like you can skim watch this (laughs) uh lorraine had you watched it before no, I had never heard nor seen anything. Oh this was completely new to me, but I did know the comics. So, boy, oh boy. <laughs> well, yeah, I should say, like, I, I remember in the early 2000s, there was a moment when, before everything was streaming and easily available online, but after everyone could easily make DVDs, every comic convention had, like, a corner where you could buy bootlegs of stuff that was not officially available. And I remember things like the nineties justice league movie and the Roger Corman, fantastic four being hot items. But even then I don't think anyone wanted to watch this (laughs) and it was never like on my list. I I bought the star Wars holiday special. I bought stuff like that, but I, I passed this every single time. Like, I feel like I only heard about this because of like wizard magazine or whatever. I mean, I mean, they did a lot at the time. They did a lot for this because they, like, I mean, it was the only, right? There wasn't much else no. at the time. Because well, I mean, Blade, Blade didn't even come out for a few years after this, right? Absolutely not. No, this was, yeah. like, this, this this era fully belonged to, like, the Schumacher Batmans. And then, um, and, and it was very, very obvious in the, uh, in the, in the mid-90s that that was, that was the vibe. <laughs> so a thing they do in this, which I kind of love, that they do in the first X-Men movie, Adam, is they make Emma Frost a doctor, because why not? Like, they just, like, are like, mm, we need a doctor, let's make it Emma Frost. I love that she comes in to save this mutant kid and is in a, like, silly it's lab great. coat. <laughs> Didn't we discuss on a previous podcast about, like, like how they were just like, mm, yeah, Jean Grey's a doctor now. Like, like yeah. like they were, yeah. every time they're looking to give, like, a female character, like, some agency, they're just like, mm, doctor lady. Make him a doctor. 
Right. Well, you know, it stands to reason she's a psychic. She'll just read his mind and be like, what would this guy do? There right. you go. There you go. <laughs> I will say, um, I feel like I... I know, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to continually defend this movie only because I hated watching Last Stand in First Class so much that this felt like a break. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a break. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it was, right. that was a rough little bit. You know what? I honestly really enjoyed watching this movie. Really <laughs> and truly. Like, is it an MC movie today? Probably not. But <laughs> probably. It's delightful. And if it were not in YouTube quality, I think it would have been even better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I, it's not good. It's not great, but it's like, all right. I, I will say there's like a point at like minute, like 40 where I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is almost over. And I was like, oh no, I have double the amount of time left that I just watched. <laughs> it's quality is really uneven. Like it's got a lot of moments where it feels like, oh, this could be something from a good movie. And then it, Turns out that no, it's it's still in the movie that it's in. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what, I don't hate Fanola Hughes's Emma Frost. I don't. I don't hate it. No, she's solid, and she and and the guy who play, uh, plays Banshee, whose name I can never remember, um, Ratchford. Jer- Jeremy yeah, Jeremy Ratchford? Ratchford have really, really com. I'm not going to say necessarily good, but really comics accurate Banshee Emma Frost um, chemistry. Yeah. yeah, like Definitely. they really, really nail that dynamic. You know, and I rewatching it, actually, I couldn't remember. I was like, ooh, do they like end up together? I kind of hope they don't. And I was like, oh, they don't. I like, you know, it's, it's like the early 90s or mid 90s, I guess. I was really expecting it to be like, oh, they kiss at the end. And I didn't really remember much about that because, you know, I hadn't rewatched this since I had it on VHS. Um, and I kind of like the idea of they're like, they're kind of flirting. They're kind of mean to each other, but like they run the school together and they do an OK job of running the school together um, with eight students and no staff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I liked. It's weird that she gets a comic accurate costume and no one else does. <laughs> Let's Very be fair; true. that is not a comic accurate costume. It's her Generation X no. outfit. It doesn't look great. It's but... it's her Generation X outfit looking like she bought it in the wrong sizes at Hot Topic. <laughs> it's like shined up in a share clueless kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that blazer, I'm like, ooh, that blazer is ill-fitting. Emma Frost would never. <laughs> it was funny because there was like a line early on where uh, Jubilee's mom says, like, oh, yeah. call, calls him like, like what was it? Like, she was like, she, she makes said they like, wear like, a stripper school. Yeah, like, yeah. At the stripper, yeah. the stripper and I was, like, club. She's dressed pretty normal. Like, she's not like a pretty civilian. Like, she's pretty, like, not. I mean, I guess it's like the corset, I guess, but. She's, yeah, she's covered up. Um, yeah, that's norm core compared to like how like Emma Frost can usually look like, you know, right. super, you know, in, in the comics. Yeah. It's also got one massive, massive advantage over her comics costumes, which is that for all of its flaws, they made sure that her corset fits properly as a corset, which is this is this is this is one of my obsessive pet peeves with with the comic is that is is basically an ongoing corsets don't work like that and emma frost is way too posh to wear that to wear them that way (laughs) is it like too tight the way she wears it so normally basically if a corset is fitted properly there shouldn't be a massive gap there should be fabric under the lacing yeah and 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 basically yeah if it's if it's fitted properly and if it's made well those should things should not be happening Hmm. all right look look, adam we learned something like corset knowledge (laughs) 
we we learned something about corsets. <laughs> well, there's also like a pervasive issue in comics of mostly male comic artists who don't really understand contemporary fashion. And Emma's one of the easiest tells for that. Where you're just like, no, she would never. Yeah, you know what? I, I so when I interned at BuzzFeed, I once wrote an article about like uh, the like annoying things of being a comic book fan, and that was one of them. And oh boy, did straight nerds get very angry at me? And they're like oh, of course, you don't really read comics, do you, if that's what you think? And I'm like, oh, God. It was, like, a lot of that, but, like, that's always been a thing that bothered me. Um, I always say that, like, I think Jamie McKelvey is one of, like, the best artists at doing, like, look, they're not in their costumes. They're actually wearing something fashionable. Like, I think he's one of the best artists. To bring it full circle, McKelvey's also done one of the best unofficial Emma Frost and Pants redesigns ever. Ooh, I'll have to look that up. Um, I'll see if I can find it. It's gorgeous. It's actually a, cost, a, a costume that's that's a little bit evocative of, of her Generation X one, that it's a corset and pants and cape, but he was shooting for something that was more in line with what the other, what the male Lord's Cardinal of the Hellfire Club wore, mm. just in, in see, terms I, of its vibe, and it's, it's, it's a really, really gorgeous design. I love the Generation X outfit. I mean, I think it's, I have, like, nostalgia for it, because I love the comics as well, Um I made that Generation X Emma for the cover of this episode. And I I actually think her current costume is like the closest we've gotten like to that again. I don't know. I, I like her current costume as well. Cause it like, I don't know. It's, I feel like a lot of dudes that do art when they're trying to be set, it's like, you can be sexy without just like showing boobs and like wearing a thong. Like Emma can be like sexy and stylish without just like being half naked or well, the nice thing about Emma, too, is that she has, like, a, a style guideline, which is the, you know, predominantly all-white and a little cutting edge. So a lot of the times, she doesn't even have one set look. You can kind of play around with it appearance to appearance, as long as you stay within that mode. But I did want to say one thing about this Banshee and Emma before we move on, which is the, the Banshee alone had, like, the most Claremontian accent that has ever appeared in a live-action Yeah. Action. Where I was like, you watched one Lucky Charms commercial and wrote this dialogue. <laughs> I love when uh, instead of saying don't know, he says Dene. <laughs> well, and I I mean, Steve, I think you're right. I feel like that's how they spelled it. Like exactly how they spelled it in the comics at the time. Mm-hmm. Like to like convey accents. Uh, I remember as a kid, I would have trouble when they wrote British accents or Scottish or any kind of, or I, he's Irish, right, Banshee? Yeah, he's Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of those accents, sometimes I would have trouble reading them as a kid because I'd be like, mm, what word is that supposed to be? Like I didn't get it. But yeah, you know, then eventually just got used to it. So the i mean I, jay do you know did he get that job like was i wonder how like that translated from like voicing banshee in the animated series to getting a job playing banshee right i have no idea and um <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm not sure i i do feel like we would be irresponsible not to cover banshee's intro scene though which is him naked in front of a fireplace <laughs> my god yeah <laughs> which is i mean we've, we've been talking about sort of Emma and, and risque stuff and roles, but Banshee is definitely the one who gets the weird 70s porn intro. <laughs> their, their nighttime wear, when Emma comes out of the bed and she's like wearing her, it's all very like, so ridiculous. You know what though? It really strikes me as some of those early generation X costumes, for some reason, Banshee was always shirtless. He was always like, uh, taking this off and putting this back on. It just kind of <laughs> felt right in comparison to that. Maybe that's why I like them so much. <laughs> yeah, his costumes felt like they were pulled straight out of the comic. Like that that super tight leopard print vest. 
I am ninety percent sure that he he actually wore that on panel at some point. Really? <laughs> yeah, like that. That's how he dressed in the comics, especially early on. I feel like the writer of this pilot, like, either was like, I, I feel like they had to have been like, well, what I can't do is have them be too romantic in this episode because I really want to tease out a four season long will they or won't they? <laughs> um, you just imagine four seasons of this of him just constantly entering rooms, being like, "Ooh, put my shirt back on." Um, Calling her a mind witch, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so also i want to talk about uh, jubilee's scene because i it's cl- very clearly heavily influenced by the animated series right like it's trying to it, i mean jubilee in a mall in an arcade her powers go wild is she playing tekken i think no virtua fighter because for some reason this movie has like a licensing deal with virtua fighter <laughs> i mean he, he mentioned it by name multiple times and as far as i can tell the lipstick he mentions is not real but he's pushing a real video game in his marketing scenes. Huh. That's how they secured funding, probably. <laughs> that's how they secured the $500 budget. Of this. Yeah. That's just the Coke label turned out. <laughs> I definitely zoned out during those meetings. I'd be like, mm, well, yes, I guess I'm not paying attention to these. And I just, how could I possibly? A, a thing I noticed uh, that's meeting. very obvious um, is when Matt Frewer's in that arcade and the X-Men arcade is like right behind him. <laughs> I, love <it. laughs> I love that. That X-Men that arcade my, is so beloved. It is. It's one of my favorites. I I remember my roommate got it installed. He like had a like whatever one of those hacks would be for your Xbox where like you can play. And we used to play that all the time when we were drunk or high. It'd be great. It'd be great. Um, but so I also don't understand what Matt Frewer's powers are. Can one of you explain that? To me? I don't think so. Is he a mutant? I think he was just like a... Super he's trying, genius. yeah. He's trying to get the mutant power. Yeah, he's jealous. He's yeah, trying to hack in. Why does his then? Why? So that's what I thought. But why does his face appear on Jubilee's video game screen then? Because he's been doing oh, subliminal cause... marketing within video games, right? But mutants can see that because of their connection to dreams. Yeah. Because in the previous scene, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be the Riddler, and I'm gonna get into people's brains with with advertising, including fake lipstick and." Mortal Kombat 3 on Sega. <laughs> Just full name check for a fighter. See, that's what, okay, that's, that was like the little point that I, like, I was like, I know we're doing dreams, but why the hell is his face on the screen? But yeah, all those marketing I, scenes. I, I love Nana Ian trying to follow <laughs> <a plot>. <laughs> <laughs> Why is his face in there? Anyway. My, literally, there's a point at the end where my notes say, hmm, have everyone explain what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the most coherent but um like there are so many matt frewer meeting scenes that like i feel like i have oh yeah those a lot i mean meetings where he's like caressing the faces of (laughs) businessmen that he's selling on this idea i love that he has a a cohort just to be exposition man he's like in case you need to know audience and this man mr exposition here you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just like fully rattles out every explanation of everything. And then, of course, once the exposition is over, so is he. Yeah. yeah so and then Ian is in, sitting in the audience still going, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, is that real? Did he really fall out of a window or is that a dream? I don't know. <laughs> but um, so the, all the Matt Frewer scenes for me were like, Ugh. like, I get like, it's it's weird that you I mean, you're right. It's he's doing Jim Carrey's impression of him but it still feels like a low budget version of that. I don't know. Ugh. It feels a little kids TV. 
It definitely feels, I mean, I don't know what the demo was intended for this, but I'm guessing because it was on Fox that it probably was not necessarily targeted at adults. It was probably targeted at preteens and teens and people living in the home still or families, I would guess. Yeah. Except for when Jubilee drops an F-bomb. Yes. I was going to ask about that. If I like imagine that happening (laughs) or if I was paying attention. So I did read on IMDb that that's the Canadian cut of it is that they cursed because they were allowed to curse. Oh. Because, yeah, they because she calls someone an asshole. She calls a refrax. She calls him an asshole at the fair that they're at. Accurate. And there's like a couple of random curses. And those definitely stuck out to me. I was like, mm, I would have remembered if they had cursing in this kid's movie I loved that I had VHS tape of. Like I so. I, I watched this so many times on the VHS tape that we had of it that I wore out the middle. So I really only remembered like the beginning and the end because that was what I was able to watch more of. Um, That's like the whole, almost the whole fair scene was ruined on my VHS tape from me watching it so many times in a row. Um, so I didn't really remember much of that going back. I mean, I didn't remember a lot of things going back into this. Shocking. I did remember a lot because I only watched it once and I watched it live. Oh. I watched this <laughs> I was in the wow. I was in the broadcast audience of this. This was this was I don't know why this was like appointment viewing for me because I, I guess I was it was like super into the um into the animated series. But yeah, I do remember only watching this once and watching it live. That's funny. Yeah. So apparently, yeah, the one on YouTube is Canadian cut, but it's still weird that they would curse, right? Because it does feel like it would be aimed at maybe teens at the like highest of age, like older teens, but not like adults. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Well, then I think the presence of cursing would make that more appealing to teenagers. That's true. That's why that's they true. got halfway through and Jubilee's like, "Fucking fuck!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> how relatable! Just like how her first line is literally, "Home sucks, freedom rocks." Yeah. <laughs> Jubilee is the most quotable character in this film. Oh my. I'm a bad girl and I have some nasty mutant tricks. <laughs> God. Can we can we exclusively call her white Jubilee or Caucasian Jubilee? I, I, I yes. yes, in the spirit of white Josh from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Right. <laughs> white cursing Jubilee. White Jubilee curses. And, and so the thing is, like the I have that in my notes, the like her home sucks, man, freedom rocks. Like that line, it's like they're trying to redo the cartoon, but like worse, because the whole reason she's there and she she's running away from home is because her parents didn't they were like registering her for the mutant registration act and like she felt betrayed and like they weren't accepting and that makes a lot more sense than just like she's running away because she likes freedom. Like ugh, come on. Like, I don't know. It's so funny because like it's so it's so weird that and I know like Jubilee's part of generation x but like heather mccomb would have been a great kitty pride which is i know we keep getting jubilee and kitty pride swapped a lot in um in in films sometimes rogue and sometimes rogue yeah all three are just sort of like the young girl who's in the mall and there's a problem but yeah i mean she's really great but she is weirdly white in a very otherwise like diverse x-men cast yes yeah because we get we see skin angelo we see him like leaving home and like his family and we get the very silly scene of his sister holding his hand (laughs) (laughs) and not letting go like the idea that his sister could 
like I, that just doesn't even make sense. I was trying time. to I was trying to get a read on that sister. Was like she doing that on purpose? Like, right. like she look, was, they could afford trying. one practical effect, and they were <laughs> damn well going to use it. Because <laughs> his powers are kind of the ones we see the most, I think. Right? Yeah. He's weirdly like main character of the of the thing because he's like the first young mutant we see. Um, well. Technically, we see Emma Frost first manifest her psychic powers by blowing a small wind <laughs> at the top the of the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it is a weirdly diverse movie for a movie that made Jubilee White. That is like a weird thing. I will say I do like the actress who plays M. She's not terrible. She's not terrible. She plays Monet. She's great. Like her. Uh, they give her. I, I didn't remember her doing much in this movie at she all. She does nothing. Um, well, but she at least gets, like, some good lines in. Uh, she gets the good line of, like, when she's telling Jubilee how what her powers are. And Jubilee's like, I forget what she says back to her, but she's like, I'm telling you, stay away from the, like, you know, baddest person in this school, me. And it's like, she's just, and she's like, I'm not being overconfident. I'm just, that's just how I am. Um, and then at the fair, when they're like, oh, you're gonna break a nail. And she punches the thing right off the game. And then later we cut to her and she's surrounded by the men that were mocking her and they're all holding like prizes she's won. And she's like, oh, party's over, boys, because all her friends are in a fight. I was like, okay, I like that. <laughs> like that feels it's like Monet. Such a good montage. It kind of makes sense though that she's the silent type because she doesn't talk in the comic very much. <laughs> wasn't she Wasn't she like silent for the first like year or so of the comics? Well, she was, she was her younger twin sisters in one body pretending to be her while she was in Penance's body at that point yeah. in the comics. So, right, right, right. You said that, that so quickly. Well yeah. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to explain this to these gentlemen? No. <laughs> Jay's like, mm, I got it down. <laughs> but yes, so technically Monet did not speak at all because she was stuck as Penance. Right. Because I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that first issue is like we're focused on Monet and it's like she's silent in I think the back of like a limo and then gets attacked and that's right. Yeah. I think in that first comic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the fact that she goes between verbal and nonverbal is supposed to be what teases that she's actually two people. Oh, all right. It doesn't do that very effectively. (laughs) (laughs) Man, Jay, you're like a encyclopedia of X-Men knowledge. I love it. This is seriously my part-time job. <laughs> I was going to say, it's almost like he runs a podcast for it. <laughs> Wild. Uh, but so we get more Emma and Banshee banter. The kids all meet each other. They have a fight during their football game. I kind of like that Monet corrects Jubilee. And she's like, that means your fireworks. But then when Skin tells his powers in the, like, the fancy science way, she's like, his skin can stretch. <laughs> <laughs> they get into a fight. Emma and banshee come out banshee uses his powers for the first time and it doesn't seem like it affects them that i feel like that was just like the budget but like no one really like falls over or moves it's kind of like they just disperse but it's like this big banshee yell i don't know but i think that's when he's wearing the outfit that jay you mentioned i think he's wearing yeah. the leopard vest there which i do like also i notice when all of these scenes especially when they're outside it's like weird everything's really dark but then there's always like a neon light pressing against everyone's face almost like when they're talking Mm -hmm. to jubilee's mom it's like everything's so dark but they all have like that pink red neon light flare on them which i guess was like very of the time lighting right oh yeah 
I feel like they did a lot to try to make a lot of comic book illusion in this movie. And I think sometimes they really oversaturated things to try to make it look more comic booky. Yeah. It, either that or it's a budget issue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably both, I think. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> I, I did laugh. Hands up, I laughed when their officer Hootie and Blowfish to get Jubilee out of jail. I laughed. I was like, oh, this movie actually got a laugh out of me, which is more than I can say for X-Men First Class and Last Stand, Adam. Yeah, that was, I think that, but I think that was the most Joss Whedon-y the dialogue got. Um, yeah. That's that was like, let's a little pop reference, a little thing. It felt a little at home in Buffy, maybe, if there was like a mind control-y uh, gag moment. But it was really, like, it was a really, like, you know, for what it was, strong kind of like, let's get, let's get the team together really quickly, um, you know, from a writing standpoint. From a writing standpoint, does anyone else get the feeling that this was written by someone who had maybe heard of teenagers, but not necessarily <laughs> ever actually met any? Because you, you mentioned the fair scene and, and the, the fight with the, the townies, and there there are the kids at the school who 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 talk like a 60-year-old writing how kids these days talk. And then there are the townies who appear to be commuting in from the 50s. <laughs> Well, the first the first moment of that to me was, you know, when Skin is leaving and and the, his friend is like, "Don't forget me, Vato Hector." And I was like, "What? I'm from nobody. That's not a thing." <laughs> I, you know, I was wondering, like, I was like, mm, "What?" Like. <laughs> Uh, Jay, it's funny that you mentioned that. Literally, I'm like, the woman that Skin meets at the fair is from 1950? Like, what is going on here? Yeah, a lot of the, I mean, like we said, uh, uh, what is it? Home sucks, freedom rocks. Like, <laughs> That's very like, oh, look, a youth would say this. Yeah, it was like the, it was the itchy and scratchy and poochy writing team kind of coming up with that. <laughs> we, I th- feel like we get so many scenes of Matt Frewer, and I kind of wish we could have gotten more of him and Emma, because we it's like the yeah. top of the movie does that and then we not until he yells her name is there that connection reminded like it's like mm, in case you forgot they did work together at you know no name university where she saved a child i did think it was like really really like you know even though like i think one of the accidental things that really worked about this was that, like oh wow his whole evil plan is to get back at this woman who like humiliated him like five years ago once that we barely they barely had a connection like it did seem to work that like they never ever had a scene again right that's just like his whole mind was just bent on that moment yeah i had a lot of questions about that because she had a chair and he had a chair and did they share the chair why would why was why was she working with this man that she could tell if you're if he's constantly touching their faces in weird meetings that that's a whole thing i just had a lot of questions on how that came to fruition (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I didn't understand why he still had it. Like, I felt like they would have fired him, right? Yes. I mean, kind of like the Riddler gets fired. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, I mean, it's weird to say, like, Batman Forever got that storytelling moment right. Although, they did try to fire him and they made them fart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on, stop it. in in one of the more defining moments of the movie so i was watching this this morning with my wife who'd never seen it decided she wanted to watch it um oh no which and 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 now knows and like 
R.I.P. Her, 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 this is awful commentary, like, was, was pretty muted until that point, at which point she just yelled, farts don't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) This, this was apparently the breaking point. (laughs) I had that exact same note because I was like, how did he do a a subconscious suggestion of how your internal systems are going to act at a certain time? Which I understand is applying more logic than this movie really asks for. Well, what you have to yes. understand is that it has to do with the mutant X factor, which is located in the pineal <laughs> glands and allows people co- to connect to the fifth or dream dimension, which is a shared subconsciousness between all, or you know, among all of humanity. And basically, once you accept that, then everything else is just kind of an okay, sure, fine. <laughs> I've come this far. Might as well keep running off the cliff. Well, there's a point where this movie becomes like shitty Dream Warriors, the third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Steve, I couldn't keep thinking about Dream Warriors when I was watching this. It was great. Once I plugged into that. Yeah, because it's like we can't afford to show any of the mutant powers. So I guess mutants access the dream world. It's funny because like this is, um, so, you know, Ian mentioned him a Lynch stand earlier, but um, so Lynch is like a big uh, into transcendental meditation. And actually this is pretty close to TM's sort of methodology, which is just, we all share this common uh, sub dream space. And the whole idea of TM is to just reach that, which is like limitless energy and health and potential. And, and it's, it is technically a sort of a dream space. So, um, so it's the most factual part of the whole uh, movie. <laughs> So, Adam, have you thought about where Lynch would have taken this pilot? <laughs> I'm, uh, listen, I, I think um, uh, definitely would have, ca- I think he would have really dug, the, I mean, they still would have all had the same um, uh, 50s teenagers talking. Um, That's true. It would have been even more <laughs> that way. Um, dressed in, dressed 90s, but each one of them would have been like, that should chill out. Like, it would have been all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, can we talk about Arlie's power, which is that when she takes off her shirt, her her back is muscular. The, her like when they ma- want to show her manifested power, and they cut from this tiny teen girl taking off her sweater to a bodybuilder man. No, it is. I, it's actually a female bodybuilder. We looked. Is that it? Up. Yeah. Oh, that's it is. amazing. Oh, oh, good, good. I. It's so weird because it's like, but we're still looking at her. Like we still see her. I don't right. get. Because when Monet describes it to Jubilee, she says like, oh, she doesn't get changed in front of the other girls because she says like her body's deformed. She makes it seem like, I I, I don't know what when, because Monet does describe it as like, I, almost like she would be like built like the Hulk with like her head on that body. Right. Um, but like she, we look at her, we see her. Okay, she's wearing a baggy sweater. Doesn't mean like it's, if she's that like, I don't know. Also yeah. that she's just strong. <laughs> yes. But like, that was okay. like the perfect accidental critique of the X-Men that has always been like, oh, they're hated and feared for being really gorgeous and having superpowers. And they're like <laughs> three, three that are weird, but everyone else is white and pretty and <laughs> built like a supermodel. So, well, and it's interesting because I guess they were probably trying to swap in Paige Guthrie, who's husk and whose skin is always pulling off, which right. is obviously a lot more grotesque than just being very shapely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And I read that like, and refract is kind of just like a stand in for Cyclops. Right. But no, for chamber. Oh, chamber. Yeah. yeah, Kind of a mix. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously he has like Cyclops like powers, but chamber and husk would have been too expensive to show their mutant powers. So refracts and buff were made up to replace them. 
but it's weird because they do they don't use the powers that much and they change some of them so i don't i don't know like for me it's like well just leave those characters in and just you know do the same thing they did with buff like do a weird cutaway and then look <laughs> they're different i don't know <laughs> well i had a question about that because so mondo mondo was not uh he was not on the team for very long in the comics sorry spoilers for a series <laughs> of the 90s but in in the comics he like fully remakes his body into different materials and in this he takes on the properties of other materials but i couldn't tell through like the shitty youtube resolution if they were making an effect for that or if it was no. just, he had to like play along with it no he basically just has absorbing man powers great yeah. but without visuals yeah yes. without yes without the visuals um which is funny um i just started reading yesterday the new the newest volume of the new mutants new mutants number one trade the jonathan hickman one and mondo is on that team i was like oh i just watched him in a really shitty movie huh (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know like he was still around around well Um, part of the yeah part of the concept for the new status quo is that any deceased mutant can come back so mondo makes a lot of sense with krakoa and all that that's a different podcast but mondo's back everyone and so is everybody else pretty much Yes, it opens with Will Spain being coming back to life, and I didn't even know she was dead. So, and I read the House of X, Powers of X, um, but uh, yeah, again, that's a different podcast. I'm not trying to infringe on Jay's brand. Um. <laughs> oh, we don't do, we don't we don't cover current books for the most part. So you're not. Oh, really? and, okay. and as as we've said every time this has come up, is that there's really enough X Men for everyone to explain. It's it's confusing <laughs> enough for pretty much infinite crossovers <laughs> and, and oversteps. <laughs> the the other thing about buff and refrax that cracked me up was that like monet is so underused in this I mean, you know yeah she got a couple scenes but buff and refrax being created for this and then having their whole little plot line kind of felt like red shirts on star trek getting a whole episode to themselves like <laughs> why are we paying attention to this yeah i i also didn't i in my head refrax was just like kind of the bully and like the one I the one I probably had a crush on, but then like at the end, it's like, oh no, he does like Buff, and he didn't look at her like he says like his powers work, but he didn't look, and I, I don't know. But I also found like felt like, oh, who cares? I'm gonna be really cynical and say the focus is on them because they're the blonde white kids. But they made Jubilee white. Yeah, I know. And well, and she and Skin have this much more interesting yes. subplot where they're you know invading dreams and making friends. Yeah, you know, I was wondering because of like so much I didn't remember when I was watching. I was like, oh, do they? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but don't Skin and Jubilee have like a romance in the comics? I think Skin has a crush on Jubilee and it's not reciprocal. Because I was wondering, I was like, oh, are they going to do that? But then he meets that like, you know, weird girl who drove in from the 50s. And then it's like, oh, okay, no, no Jubilee. Sure. Um, And I thought those actors, you know, in the realm of this TV movie had okay chemistry. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to say great, but, you know. Uh, also, Emma Frost says, I think, like, numerous times. Is it because of the dreamscape plot that they're throwing in here? But, like, she says they all have, like, latent telepathic powers. I think that seems like a convenient thing for the development of the plot. Because if mutants can see through this guy, then he needs to eradicate the mutants, but also he can like steal their powers so that he has their powers. Cause they're all kind of telepathic. Right. They might've been, I wonder if they were extrapolating in reverse from the Cerebro only picks up mutants thing. Mm. Like, that I, Cerebro I, was some, that was some, <laughs> some era specific Cerebro there. That was Cerebro 
powered by Prodigy. Yeah, that was Cerebro that was in my parents' den. <laughs> Cerebro dial-up. Yeah. <laughs> that was Cerebro. You start, you turn it on, then you go have dinner, and then you come back after dinner, and it's connected. And, like, maybe it's finished connecting. Maybe. <laughs> And there's just a chat window that says ASL, 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 like 70 times. I Wait, I made, so I'm glad we're all, I think, I guess, of the same. I made that joke to a friend who was 26 and he was like, what's that? 26 year olds love doing stuff like that. That was on purpose. <laughs> My life, Adam. TikTok on that. <laughs> uh, so, hmm, where are we in my notes? Oh, um, we breeze past this but uh isn't it very weird that the kids have to get naked yeah yeah <laughs> that was different yep. i was like is this a joke this is a joke they're not really gonna make her get naked but nope then she gets naked and emma frost just like kind of takes a q-tip to her shoulder i was like mm, is this what we're doing this is weird. <laughs> it, <laughs> once again i have questions yeah, this is the whole, this school is only accredited because it's run by a telepath, huh, <laughs> situation. <laughs> and that's why it only has two staff members. <laughs> yeah, that part was, like, really weird. I'm like, we see Skin kind of look at her, and then they're like, oh, you're next. And I'm like, ugh. These are adults. I mean, granted, at least none of them really look like, because they think they say Jubilee is supposed to be 15. It's like, <laughs> Jubilee looks like she's 20. Like, no, no. <laughs> it's very, like, of the time teenager. Yeah. Um, but that was a thing that I thought was very weird, and I mentioned in my notes, uh, that I definitely didn't remember. I mean, the movie never goes more than, like, five minutes without something very creepy and cringy happening. Yes. They strip. Refrax says nice beaver at one point. Yeah. Uh, pr yes. Pretty much everything Refrax does or says is very creepy. Yes. <laughs> they all do. And at one point, the the thing that, that just for me is like, oh, wow, this just jarred this out of being funny and kind of stupid was um definitely the villain threatening to rape a child yeah which um, happens sister yeah yeah it's it's all of all of all of the stuff around sex and sexuality and it feels aggressively tone deaf like even beyond the normal level for stuff from that era yes god what, does he do that when they're doing the weird like dream and it, he, they're doing like 10 dreams in a he's row with skin in the dream and then he yeah. like manifests skin's sister the one who like pulled his arm all stretchy it's when he's trying to t to convince skin that he has to he has to wake up um right after her. he's basically oh, threatening okay. to like if he doesn't do what he says like he's going to like his words mind rape his sister like it's, it's that was um i definitely zoned out because i had to rewind because I was like, hmm, did Jubilee's dad just jump out a window and did that really happen? Oh no, it was the guy from the office. And I was like, hmm, I haven't been paying attention for like 20 minutes. Great. Um, so glad I, I gave this 100% of my attention today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had it on in front of me. I just was like, like I don't know why I thought it was Jubilee. Because like, Jubilee's like freaking out about her family, but it said she saw her parents. Right. And yeah. I mean, it was probably so objectionable, you just sort of blotted it. <laughs> it's like mm, whatever i choose not to see or hear that <laughs> well he, yeah he also makes a comment to him about like putting on barry white which is you know it's a, a sexual right. insinuation and I, I i'm sorry i only ever called him dream guy in my notes i don't respect this enough to give him his name but uh i was saying dream guy gives very big like buffalo bill energy by the end of this movie where he's like traipsing around in his flowy robes and kind of just house dress. make yeah. rapey comments toward everyone yes Yes, I 
Yes. It's not yes. great. No. Not great. <laughs> and also I feel like Matt Frewer, this was kind of the, the character he did play in like anytime he was like the villain, it was like this, this was the character. Well, this right? is his like firebug character from the stand kind of like in a little yeah. r- more chatty way, but he was like <laughs> sort of the like TV movie creep king of yeah, that time. That was like his go-to. Yeah. Well, and creep was really, really heavy, heavily coded especially during that time as male assigned, but aggressively feminized. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a flamboyancy, we shall say. Right. I mean, he's wearing that health dress at the end. Like, yeah. Right. It, oh, okay. No, he is, he goes full, full on wizard at the end. <laughs> that is, that is like that, that's, that's, that's past bathrobe and house dress and, and, and well into I have genre hopped and the rest of you have not joined me. <laughs> that is why it is starring Matt Frewer and featuring everyone else. <laughs> I I've told this I've told this story on a podcast on one of our podcast episodes before, but before quarantine, um, when I was at the gym, the I was like there during the day and the TVs were on and there was a woman on the screen and I was like, that woman looks so familiar. Why do I recognize her? And she had like dark hair or whatever. And I realized it was like General Hospital that I was watching and I was like, I feel like this woman has been a superhero and it was Emma Frost. She is that woman is still on I think General Hospital. Uh, it was one of those soap operas. Um, and that, I think that's like why I actually thought of this movie because Adam and I then shortly after discussed doing X-Men and I was like, hmm, remember Generation X? Let's do that. <laughs> I, wasn't she also on Charmed? She was. I think she was the mom, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So many yeah. people got their, you know, actress cards from Charmed episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a show that gave, it gave and gave. <laughs> it gave. <laughs> it, it really gave. <laughs> That'd be my new gay Twitter slang. Man, that 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 show gave. Yeah. I did look up to see like how many careers this movie killed, and it seems like Emma and White Jubilee were the most prolific afterward. Yes. Because Wh- White Jubilee was married to James Vanderbeek for years and has starred in numerous TV shows. Yes. I know her well as the daughter from Stay Tuned with Topper oh. and Jeffrey Jones and um, yeah, it and it, which is actually AMC is developing into a series right now, so everybody go watch that old crap because um, it's coming mm. back. Yeah, that movie kind of scared me when I was a kid. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of kids things like that. Like this could have scared me. There's like like if it had come out maybe a few years earlier, it could have scared me because he was like so creepy and in dreams. Um, a lot of like, I mean, like you said, Adam, this has very this very much has goosebumps vibes um goosebumps would often sometimes still scare me it would sometimes it would be like oh this is cute this is fun then other times it'd be like oh this scared me too much (laughs) well i think it's weird because like i mean like kids really respond to like movies that have like even like not horror movies that have like body horror in this way but i think i remember like that's why like this you know skin like arms pulling stuck out so much in my imagination back then and you know all those other things like anything where it's like "Uh, what's going on yeah it's like the yeah (laughs) <laughs> almost like Cronenberg, but for kids. <laughs> Cronen kids. I think it's funny because in that opening scene, you can't really get a read on what his sister, like, is she amused that he's in pain or does she not know, know what she's doing? Or for, Like when I first watched this, I was like, I was like, oh, like she doesn't want her brother to like go away. But then like she had kind of a little, little sinister gleam. Maybe she's doing it on purpose. So the kids, okay, this is where, I need you all. <laughs> this is where, so they do that. Like we get that, like all the, I feel like it's like four different dreams in a row, which I don't know. 
I would be curious as to why it was like, oh, dreams is the thing we're going to do. We can't afford power, so we'll just do dreams. Um, because we get so many, it's like, and the dreamscape, he has the, the business dude jump out the window, and then he, like, in Jubilee, we see Jubilee's parents, and then we get the skin dream, and then we get him, like, telling Jubilee she needs to wake up and that he's been captured. Um, I don't understand what Emma Frost does. Does she, are when they're fighting him, they're in the dreamscape, right? Yes. Like, when they go into I battle? <laughs> well, yeah, because isn't it that she's essentially, like, the doorman? <laughs> They're in the dreamscape, but they're physically there. It's not just their minds. I think that's what right. I didn't understand. It, it right. doesn't. If you're looking for it to make sense, I, I don't think it's going to. <laughs> I wouldn't right, look there. into the science of it. Yeah, because <laughs> I was like, oh, but but they're there and they're fighting him, and like they're going into battle and they're worried. So it's not like a dream dream because it's real, but it is the dreamscape. So it's not like, I feel like it's, it's very, I mean, like they said, it's very Freddy Krueger rules where it's like anything could at once be a dream and not a dream. It's whatever (laughs) the plot is finds most spooky. It will be that. All right. That's fair. I wonder how much of the coherence was lost on the cutting room floor when they cut the recut this as a movie rather than as a first episode. I was thinking about that too, because it does seem like, you know, it would make sense when they have that little packet of all the dreams, like that's the dreams episode and that's what's happening in that one, you know, and we have our uh, fun and games off in Hastings, which side note is like 15 minutes away from me. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it seems like they feel like episodes that got smushed in together a little bit. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Like, oh, that would have been the dream episode. Like we have one episode where there's a dream thing. Sure. Not like a, that's the whole plot of the show. Um, Jay, do you know how many episodes, was this just like the first two episodes or was it like a couple? I honestly don't remember. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just deferring to you because I feel like you've, since you've done now two podcasts about it. Yeah, but I've repressed so much. (laughs) That is so fair. Jay is not Google. (laughs) I thought that this was actually intended to kick off a series of TV movies. I didn't realize this was sort of patched together from episodes. Yeah, I see, I thought... And it's pretty standard to do, like, a movie-length pilot. Yeah. And I guess an hour and a half really isn't that crazy for a movie-length no. pilot. I mean, Twin Peaks started as a movie pilot. Like, I mean, it was it was intended to be a series, but they shot a movie that's a 90-minute, two-hour-long sort of event because again like they were like i think the time during that time especially like 90s like they were doing like the first episode would be like an event so it'd be like okay this is a movie special to really especially with something with this kind of world building where you're getting a full ensemble with powers and rules and, and everything um it would make sense that probably they yeah they did shoot this as a as a movie because i mean that's i mean again they put probably all the budget into just this one thing and then it's just the the movie pilot was not picked up so this was this is probably not stitched together from like multiple episodes because again they just do the pilot and they do not spend a dime on anything else until it's mm-hmm. been approved hmm. Hmm. <sighs> well so now i'm google yeah still still not great <laughs> <laughs> still bad uh yeah so they all i put oh i so jubilee zaps uh matt frewer's dude and I think that is literally where my notes say there are eight minutes left of this movie and Jubilee has used her powers for the second time in an hour and a half, which is bonkers. 
Um, because I feel like her powers wouldn't be that expensive because it's not like they're like that great looking. It's just like pew, some light. I actually love that they look just like the comic books. They are like yeah. the little the little kind of four point star shape. Yes, I yes. love that. <laughs> I mean, it's, she it's it's fireworks. They look kind of like fire. They look like little pinwheels. Yeah, yeah. As I say, the little like little ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. which makes sense because they're coming out of our hands. Wait, it makes sense also because he's very like scared by them, and he's like, "Oh, it was just harmless, nothing sparks." Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I I love that the like doesn't really do much, and I feel like this TV movie adds to the bad theory that I don't love of Jubilee being useless on the team she's on because she's not useless. If you had a firework blast in your face, it would hurt. It'd be bad. Because I was like, man, my girl can't do anything in this movie. She's just, she's kind of the star, but like, not really. I don't know. Like, who did you guys view as the main character? I mean, Jubilee has the most important power, which is that she can swear. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think she and Skin are pretty clearly supposed to be the, at least the, the entry point of view characters. Yeah, I feel like they have kind of like two tiers where they've got um, Banshee and Emma Frost being like, the will they or won't they sort of older you know, adult characters and then they've got you know skin and jubilee being the will they or won't they younger characters so probably finola hughes would be like my bet for main character you know it's so funny because when i started watching i kind of thought oh it, we have a little bit of skin getting some time but i think it's really about jubilee and then there's that scene where they're reading the mind cards from ever frost <laughs> she's holding up cards and that's somehow psychic I don't know. I didn't entirely understand that. But, you know, she's saying out the answers out loud and then he's writing them down first, kind of showing that he has a better psychic ability. But that was the moment where I was like, oh, I guess we're actually supposed to care a little bit more about skin because we're giving we're looking more into his point of view than hers. I would agree. I would say that because it's interesting because like we because skin gets the like is the one who finally takes down like the villain skipping ahead a little bit but um you know like skin gets that sort of moment where like he is the one who who defeats mind guy um but also <laughs> like but jubilee has the bigger arc because skin's family's all very like yeah you know we love you off to off to xavier school you go you know make sure you're right whatever and then like jubilee's mom is like full on like what is the meaning of like she's gonna have the bigger would this have gone on she would have had the bigger like have you tried not being a mutant plot moment? Also, Jubilee never subconsciously coerces anyone into hooking up with her, which I feel like gives her some major protagonist points over skin in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Another thing. What I what the fuck was going on there? I don't understand. Like, I was like, this is all a dream or this is all not a dream is what I was the like when he's with that girl from the fair from the 50s. The fair was real life, but the the uh, swing neo swing dance break was not. Right, but so like, but he was still like that was him. Like Jay said, that was him coercing her. Right, like that's what yeah. that was. Mm, yeah, the like. Regardless, another mm. um, you know, boundaryless creep moment in this right. boundaryless creep written kind of episode. <laughs> <sighs> I thought it was funny when Emma tries to expel everyone and then Banshee says like, well, we don't have a school if we expel all eight of our students because that's all they have in that giant mansion. So Skin does get the save the day and we think Emma gets a save the day moment 
but then skin get she very casually just is like no i'm gonna fall forever with this man like it feels like we go from like these stakes don't seem that high to like oh someone needs to die like it felt like we didn't need that i don't know i mean i I gave them partial credit for the stretching uh ending up being plot relevant by the end it was yes it was we see him stretch back and i was like okay golf clap (laughs) that is true at least it did like serve a purpose yeah the one effect they could afford to show the most ended up mattering because <laughs> they definitely they do go all out when he wraps his arms around him i remember even thinking like oh this is this is the budget right here this is the budget <laughs> yeah it, it's weird but whatever they defeat him i guess but so they're in the dream world and they go back to reality that's what's happening there right yes, yes. they yeah. do go back to reality yes through the stand-up wall right yes <laughs> so I can remember loving the scene when they're like, you want to see your new uniforms? And uh, Buff walks in in the like legit Generation X, like comic accurate outfit. I can remember like being so excited and being like, oh, I hope I see more of this. And I get to see like all of them in their costumes and like thinking it was the fucking coolest shit I'd ever seen. And well, <laughs> I think that seems to be a trend with us on these on these rewatching these movies. Uh, Ian, is that we're like, God, I remember when I first saw this, I was like, this is it, my life is beginning now. And then we rewatch <laughs> it, and it's like, God, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also now like a, a repeated joke for the X Men franchise that they end the movie with comic accurate costumes, and then the next movie they're like, nope, black leather. <laughs> no, they're in it again. Oh God. It's a weird, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a Groundhog Day loop they're in. That is like a weird, yeah, you're right. It's like every one of these, it's like the music builds and we show them in their costumes. And then the next movie, they said, fuck those costumes. Well, it's just like, just admit you don't want to do that. It's so weird that right. this movie about all of them would not want to do that because it's the most like Hughes closest to like, yeah, let's put everybody in some goofy stuff. Um, no, it's the nineties. <laughs> they want to be cool and edgy. They want hackers energy. They really yeah. did want hackers energy. That's really accurate, um, Jay. Which is understandable because Hackers is legitimately a bisexual masterpiece, but... Right. <laughs> That's one of those movies that I hold to a very high standard, but I don't, I don't... I haven't revisited it in a long time, so I don't know if, like, I would still love it, but I think of it. I, I've seen it within the last two years, and I don't know if it exactly holds up, but it's amazing. It's, it's really, really, really delightful. All right. No, like it's it's, it's still extremely fun to watch. Gotta look back. Oh yeah, Johnny Miller Miller. Oof. Uh, he was I like he was like one of my big him with that blonde hair, the bleach blonde hair. Oof. Do you think it's do you think it's telling that every time a topic that comes up that's not Generation X, we're all like, oh my god, yes, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> when we're forced to talk about the plot, it's just like cricket. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how do you feel about that? I don't know. It happened in front of my eyes. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, it ripped off this scene, but let's it ripped off this movie. Let's talk about that. We're like clinging to the off ramps here. Uh, I do. I was gonna say with the the costume at the end, I love that even in skin tight spandex, Buff is still like an averagely athletic young woman, and not yes. the, like muscle monstrosity they describe her as. But don't they make that joke? Is that a joke that they're doing when they show her outline? Like her silhouette because of the shoulder pads makes her arms and her. Like shoulders look huge and i was like oh are they doing that on purpose because they said how disfigured she was and then they show her and it's like nope she's very like athletic and fit looking yeah, it's not like, oh, you, you play volleyball great yeah yeah 
I also I was gonna I forgot to say earlier, but in the scene where they do swap in the the female bodybuilder, I love that the next time they cut back to her, you can still clearly see that she is like an an averagely athletic young woman. Like she still has her shirt like half yeah. off when they cut back to her. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very strange. Um, because again, if they don't have the budget, that's fine. Then why did they add a character that they would need to do that for? It's I don't weird. think it's like, just the budget. I think it's the com the syndrome you see in comics and in entertainment of that era, where there's a de facto ban on showing women who aren't conventionally attractive or who are in any way monstrous. Like you can make jokes about it, you can tease it as the thing it's supposed to be, but the line that the line is is it actually showing showing that? I mean, it's 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 the the whole why She Hulk. I was just going to say she has the proportions it. that she oh. does. It's the why. I mean, and you, you see it extended to everything. It's, it's tends to be most vivid in animation. I mean, the, the go-to example for me for a very, very long time was the sexual dimorphism in world of Warcraft, where in the nominally monstrous species, like the males would look weird and monstrous and the women would be like, okay, but boobs <laughs> <laughs> and like abs <laughs> And and we're distinctly okay. like not only not only more conventionally attractive, but like more anthropomorphized. And that's I mean, that's that's huge in comics. And you can you can track it. Actually, it's it's huge in comics specific to size. Like if you look at 90% of the comics Big Barda has appeared in after Jack Kirby stopped drawing her, she's tall. Like that's it. That is that is that is what big means in that context. She gets thinner and thinner and smaller and smaller, but she's still described in the same language. Yeah, I mean, you, you just know, kind of have these like super fit, like it's it's just like it's usually just like green Jillian Michaels or something. Like it's just yeah, like, and the way really the way Arlie is shown in this feels emblematic of of the same sets of of social and and media biases. You know, that's funny. Uh, when I was a kid, and they like you know we didn't get a lot of like the lady heroes for the action figures. Um, I remember when they put out a She Hulk, and I didn't because of like the way she's drawn and everything i never knew she was supposed to be bigger like i just always assumed she was like the size like her and scarlet which would be the same height um and i remember the figure being so much bigger and i remember being upset because i thought it was like a different brand like i was like oh they like they were redoing the figures because this one's too big and like as a kid i just like didn't get that like oh no she hulk is supposed to be bigger like way bigger than the other characters because, like, the fact that she was, like, taller than, like, you know, she was, like, taller than Beast, the Beast figure I had at the time. I remember that, like, really bothered me. But I just didn't realize that that's, like, actually how she's supposed to look. Like, she's supposed to be bigger. Yeah, she's supposed to be, like, seven foot six. But I also, I sort of love how she's drawn now where she's, like, really ripped and, like, huge in, in a different way, you know, than her more volleyball-esque days. But I think, I don't know, it, it is interesting to watch a movie from the 90s, obviously with the lens of, of 2020, which has been a hell of a year, but, you know. To, Whatever do you mean? <laughs> just, we're not even, we're not just, even two-thirds done with that hell of a year. Uh, <laughs> <I'm sorry>. um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, sort of, I, th- I mean, I think there's so much stuff where you look at it through this lens of like, you know, this is a, a a long time ago but also it, it was weird to me I guess the thing that struck me is I was like I guess it's like bad that you're a strong girl I don't know I guess I just didn't read it in the same way where I just found it so laughable in this because I just you know you're like okay great you're like 
a strong lady. That sounds great. Can you help me lift things at my house? <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be a problem. And I understand, you know, obviously I think young young girls often have body issues. Young young people have body issues, you know, and and maybe that was in part sort of like we're going to be edgy and address that in some way, but I don't know, it just struck me in a very strange way. Having the rest of her peers confirm it was part of what felt so weird. Yeah, like, I think they could have yeah. played really well if she were going out about, you know, my body's grotesque. I never, I do this. And at some point someone saw it was like, um, no, you're just really muscular. It's fine. Oh, that would have been so interesting. Well, if we had written this movie. Just Get me we're, a time machine. This is the first thing on my agenda. We're going to say this. <laughs> um, also about the uniform reveal. I love how like they make sure you see that X on her belt. Like... They like put like effects to make it look like it's like shining and reflective and like all the everything is like your eyes are drawn to the X. Um, but also when they're whatever game they're playing, which I don't know if that's a real game or not. Can anyone? No, is that a I real don't game? know. And I really want to know like I, this right? superpowers and Francis Bacon game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I was like, is this Magic the Gathering for X-Men? Because I'm in. <laughs> I would be into that because the cards have the generation X X symbol on the back of them. So I was like, Hmm, is this like a server? Like, I didn't know what, cause it seemed like there were rules. It seemed like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> or they could but I also, app. Yeah. They used Cerebro to make their own card game. Listen, I'm not sure how they used like, Cerebro to do it, but yeah. Oh no, like it's from great. dreams. It's, it's, they made it in dreams. <laughs> and then they brought it back with them yes. and brought them back. Right, yes, right, right, which right. explains why the rules don't make sense too, because it runs on dream logic. <laughs> when I but, saw uh, that, I just thought the teachers took time to develop a game based on this education. <laughs> An entire their, board like, game. School symbol or whatever. <laughs> they were most interested in, I think. You know like they were like they were like, let's put all of our you know when like you're writing something and you're just like I am really interested in this one weird part of the thing that's not the story. <laughs> Happens to me a lot. So, yeah. You know, I wonder, though, if that was because one of the things I thought was really fun is actually that they're playing football because the X-Men are always like, there's nothing to do in Westchester. Let's play a sport. But in the comic, they're always playing. Uh, what do you uh, baseball? What, they play football uh, well, once. No, I was going to say, uh, God, why am I having such a brain fart right now? The Scrabble. Scrabble, ironically, a game about words. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, uh, Skin and I can't remember who are husk. always. Skin and Husk. husk play yes. And Husk are always playing mm. um, Scrabble. So I wonder if they were just kind of like, got to play a board game. It's Generation hmm. X. Huh. And Scrabble and is if- trademark TM. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if it would have been like if it had been a show that like that game would have been like a thing like we always see them playing it right like maybe they were like oh this will be funny because we'll reuse this game a lot but then it was just a TV movie so it just didn't make sense because yeah the Francis Bacon part was what really threw me for a loop. (laughs) I kind of want to track down whoever did the props for this and see if they remember. (gasps) (laughs) But all right, well uh, now that we're at the end, um. Normally we say favorite scene and grade. Uh, Let's do it. I'm so interested. Okay, great. You know what? Um, Lorraine, go. Favorite scene. Oh, favorite scene. Um, I'm going to say I watched it twice because I watched it and then I laughed. And then I was like, did I laugh ironically or did I actually just laugh? Um, which is the scene with the 
I guess it's like the three boys and Mondo talks about how he doesn't like Jello, and then he says to himself like oh yeah oh sweet I'm so buff though yeah yeah and he's like feeling his own muscles I I don't know why but I laughed so hard at that scene and I found it truly I was like is Mondo secretly a comedic genius that we don't know about maybe it had like a point break kind of hyper masculinity yeah it it reminded me of of like little boys when they're like so this is what dudes are like and they're like this is what dudes are like got it um (laughs) (laughs) it was just i don't know why it really tickled me um and then my grade am i grading it on a 90s grading scale or i'm grading it in the year 2020 well you know what we'll do scenes first and then you can you can you can come up with any grade okay if you want to grade it on a 90s scale you totally can um my co-host that does is doing the x-men animated series episodes with me he always grades things on if they accomplish what they were meant to do (laughs) yes i think that's great Uh, and i i try to like my friend who's a professor that's right on the podcast she'll be like how would i grade this in my class and you know i mean adam and i when we graded for was it first class adam or was it last stand where it's like you want them to pass because you want them to get out of your class it but it's not yeah a good exactly grade. yeah um <laughs> i mean for me like i put everything in in one in one pot like i so i'm putting this up against like you know like mad max fury road and godfather 2 like i'm just like oh, like, oh, like it's wow. all the same to me it's all filled <laughs> you have one so we all have the same 24 hours a day um <laughs> I probably should. But Adam, that. favorite scene. Favorite scene. Um, I, I was weirdly like tickled by the weird, like Matt Fruerness of the flyaway Bobby Bird scene. Um, because right. it just was so. It was like when the I think it was the campiness was working the most correctly. Um, okay, that's, that's and fair. when the like sort of dream real life danger was most clear in the in the storytelling okay that's fair uh steve favorite scene my favorite scene was when the dream man who i will not name (laughs) uh asked skin if he was circumcised because that was just another moment where i couldn't really tell if i had just heard what i thought i heard or if i had completely lost my mind that was a moment favorite scene jay (laughs) my favorite scene is uh the scene in the diner when a bunch of teenage boys try to intimidate each other by very aggressively eating hamburgers oh yeah (laughs) it's it's this movie where they they so obviously or this the scene where they so obviously all know what's going on it kind of makes it feel like the whole movie is just sort of set in an alternate universe where this (laughs) is normal and i really I, i love that i love that just that casual bizarreness yeah, Jay, you mentioned earlier, like, what would Lynch do with that? That would be a sh- that he would have done that exactly that. Like, he would have done that <laughs> exactly that, but like, leaned even further into the like, because like his stuff is just littered with stuff like that, where it's like, yes, there is a logic of people aggressively eating, and it's like <laughs> for no reason, but it does communicate the emotion he wants to communicate, which is they're one upping each other somehow, and it makes sense yeah. to them. <laughs> That's all those are fair answers. Um, my favorite scene, I think, uh, I think it's the Jubilee arcade scene, just because that feels like true to that feels like the truest X-Men scene to me is the Jubilee scene of her in the arcade. Uh, but it could just be because it's a low budget X-Men animated series scene. Um, 
but I think that's my favorite scene. Um, now we're going to give this a grade. Steve, you can go first. Fail. Whatever a fail is. I mean, I, look, <laughs> I, I notoriously don't like many movies in general, and I don't like any of the X-Men movies. So if I'm forced to grade this against the X-Men movies or against Citizen Kane like Adam will, uh, I'm going <laughs> to give it a fail. <laughs> Gen Citizen. The most generous grade I can give it is a D minus. That's you know what? Stay with your F. You're confident in your F. Stay with it. <laughs> uh, Lorraine, what grade do you give this? Um, I am gonna give this. Huh, I'm gonna go with a check. <laughs> I don't feel like this needs to be on an A to F scale. I feel like it is. It just is. And therefore check. You did the assignment, so you'd get credit for doing the assignment. Yes. This movie has been made. <laughs> Present. Uh Jay, what grade did you do? After some deliberation, I have gone with D for Dream Dimension. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh Adam, what grade do you do? Um like Jay, I give it a D, but this D stands for does not meet expectations. Um, oh. Yeah, that was the yeah, good old meets or does not meet or exceed expectations. Um, I think Adam, yeah, you gave this a higher grade than you gave first class or last day. That's true, and, and I said what I said. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, but keep in mind when we were recording last stand, I was height of cranky, and so everything was just like this has gone on way too long talking about this horrible movie f f f it gets um adam had no deliberation i was like adam what grade was like f that's it i think i said f for fart is what i said um i mean that also applies to this movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so adam we're on the same page i just i wanted to point out that you did that because at the top of this podcast i did say I enjoyed it slightly more than Last Stand in First Class, yes. and same. I, I give it a D. Yeah, Ian and I are skewed that way because we've been watching <laughs> so, so much. We're just saturated with X-Men movies, and this at least felt different, is the <laughs> right. is the thing I will say. I, did, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it for not being Magneto, the Magneto movie, yeah. or the Wolverine. I did movie. not need an, uh, yeah, I was, there was no scene in which we returned again to the Auschwitz for the Magneto origin and it did not include Hugh Jackman so we are good yeah actually can I can I give it some kind of like special secondary commendation for not including Wolverine (laughs) yes you can (laughs) so Uh, it's it's wild but that's like they didn't try to like shoehorn in someone mentioning Wolverine because that feels like it would have been of the time. I to like. I will mention. say though that Dream Machine looked so much like the Barry Windsor Smith uh, X Men or X Origin, whatever Wolverine's Weapon X. There oh, we go. Yeah, the Weapon X Origin where he's got the helmet on and he's running naked through the wilderness in the in the great hat. Oh, that uh, would have been so easy to shoehorn in. You're right. But they, when Jubilee puts on the um, on the helmet, it's got the little doodads on the front, just like a good old Weapon X. So maybe a slice of Wolverine, just like an illusion. Yeah, yeah I wonder if this series had gone, who would have eventually played like Wolverine in season two? It would have been like, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, who would have been it? Like TV some, Wolverine. Like would, yeah, they would have. Well, they they would have gotten like, a Canadian actor for sure. Finally, 
Um, oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Are you sure they wouldn't have gone with with like Pride of the X Men um, Australian Wolverine? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> oh, God. I thought of I thought of us doing an episode on Pride of the X Men, just <laughs> I had the VHS tape of that, and I loved it so much. It was just the arcade game. And now for a quick break. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto-stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X-Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you've found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris and Madam Amy, and we are here to give you the commentary you want. Marvel. Minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams assemble. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. If you liked Slayer Vest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and a bunch of other places. You can support us on Patreon, which helps keep the podcast going. You can listen to mini episodes. And if you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow me, I am at IanXCarlos on all social platforms. Adam, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamSass, on Instagram at it's Adam Sass, and you can pre-order my debut YA novel, Surrender Your Sons, which is coming out September 15th, wherever you buy your books. Yay! And Steve, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Steve underscore Fox on Twitter and Instagram. Do I get to plug something, too? Yeah, duh. Okay, well, uh, James Tynan and I just launched Razorblades, the horror magazine, so you can find that at readrazorblades.com. You can pay whatever you'd like for the first PDF. And my first adult graphic novel comes out this November from Oni Press, and it's called Cheater Code, uh, and that is literally adult, 18 plus. I was going to say, is it, it's like literally, yeah. Yeah, no, it's their erotica and sex education line, but it's like a nerdy video game gay erotica, so check that out if you are of age. Nice. Uh, and James was on this podcast before. He was on in Buffy Season 4. Um, Jay, where can everyone find you? I am not lasers on Twitter. I am um, also, you can hear me talk more ad infinitum about the X-Men um, at explainthexmen.com. Also explain the X-Men on any social media. And you can find me in um, Marvel Proper Works as one of the co-authors of the recent Serial Box Thor novel and the upcoming um, one- comics one-shot uh, Marvel Snapshots X-Men, which will be out allegedly in September. Nice. And Lorraine, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me at Lorraine Sink. Uh, that's Sink with a C, C-I-N-K. Uh, across social media, really just about anywhere. Uh, you can watch me in videos or on the This Week in Marvel podcast on marvel.com. Or you can read my book, Marvel Powers of a Girl, about lady heroes. Yes. All right. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.